The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, and we're going to read starting in verse 19. But before we do that, I want to do a little bit of review. So let's pray again. Lord, we thank you again for today, God, and that you've brought us here. And we pray that as your word is open to us this morning and throughout the day, that you would be pleased, God, to open up our eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that everything that goes on today would be directed towards him. We ask, God, that you would be pleased to magnify Lord, your great grace uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, today. We pray, Lord, that by your grace we would draw close to you through him. We ask for this morning, we pray, God, that you'd help me please be able to speak clearly uh, concerning your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So again, the Bible is one story, and it moves, you know, we can track it different ways, but it moves from the Garden of Eden to the Land of Promise, to the Temple, to the Incarnate Christ, uh, then His eternal dwelling with His bride, the church, right? So it's a story all the way through, and what we've been doing is making some connections in the Old Testament to see that the Old Testament uh, is just also just part of the story, right? It's not just a collection of, um, of books that were just kind of thrown together, uh, but they, they're all part of the story. And as we've been going through it, uh, I've been doing it, and then Brian, uh, I think the last couple times he's spoken too, the idea of it's tied together in the way it's set up and the themes through it. So the Bible has a main character, Right, Jesus at the heart of it. And then the theme, we could say the theme's the kingdom of God, I think, because it's, that's what Jesus talks about. And the way it's structured or put together is the canonical way, and it's through covenant, right? So Brian going through his uh, thing on Wednesday night, and I think one of the Sundays, was showing how the prophets are, uh, it's, that's all covenantal, and it all has to do uh, with the law, right? So there's a way that that's put together, and that theme carries through and it enables us to see the structure of how things are put together. So Jesus is the heart and Graham's Goldworthy says, the hub of the church and of the life of the believer is Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. He is not only the hermeneutical center, <coughs> by hermeneutic we mean in, uh, how we get our interpretation, the rules of interpretation. He's not only the inter, uh, hermeneutical center of the whole Bible, but according to the biblical testimony, he gives ultimate meaning to every fact in the universe. He is thus the hermeneutical principle for all reality, providing the center that holds it all together. All things were created by him and for him and through him. What a wonderful thing, and it's, that's what life's all about. Again, what's life all about? God glorifying himself in the person of Jesus Christ. The material world exists because of the incarnation. And so everything, so there's Graham Goldsworth saying you want to make sense out of life. Of course we know this, but he means it, he means it more than just some uh, you know, spiritualizing of things. He really means this is the meaning to life, to all of life, is Jesus Christ. So he's the focus of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he's how we interpret scripture, right? And again, the one verse we think of often, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So this is how Jesus uh, uh, says, this is what the Bible's about. And then he talks to him. But in the passage, I want to start springboard from. Uh, so John 19, it says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said to him, it is taking 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said these things, and they believed the scripture 
and the word that he had spoken. So I've read that verse a lot, and I'm sure you have too, and maybe you've picked it up, but it wasn't until the other day that I realized that it says, and they believed the scripture. And you have to go, well, what scripture was that that they believed? It's the Old Testament. That's all they had. So he's talking about his temple, the bot, his body being the temple and the resurrection. And it says, and they believed the scripture. So the Old Testament teaches the resurrection and teaches, teaches the temple not being just a physical building, but the temple of Christ, right? And we go, well, how does it do that? Well, all the way through, of course, it's hidden. You know, it's not, it's not always so clear, but it's hidden. But nevertheless, they believe the scriptures when he talked to them about his resurrection and about his body being the temple. So again, we go through and we, re- we read the scriptures, and as, as we... Um, I don't know, so I, when I first came to Christ, I was just excited to see Jesus anywhere in the Bible. I had gone to church as a little kid, but I, you know, as I got older, that, you know, none of that was part of my life. And so then when I actually came to Christ and I'm opening up the Bible, New Testament or Old Testament, I was just, I was like, wow, this is about Jesus. And it totally surprised me and it was very edifying. You know, I had no idea. I was like, oh, the Bible's about Jesus. Look at this, you know. And that, but then as I, you know, you grow and stuff and say, okay, well, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and they're two separate things. And then, and then you hear, well, the Old Testament's about Jesus too. And then you think, oh yeah, well, in parts where it's just really some prophecy uh, and mostly you're th- thinking about apologetics or something, you know, look at this, you know. There's so many prophecies about Jesus and he fulfills all of them and you can go through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I think that's how I thought about it. And of course you'd read Isaiah and you'd get blessed when you read in Isaiah about the suffering servant and things. But I thought that, um, you know, if you're thinking about the Old Testament being about Jesus, it had to be something like that. Or certainly the sacrifices you could see, yeah, okay, they're pointing to Christ. Had no idea that the Old Testament is just about Christ. All right, it's, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end. It's about Jesus Christ in, um, in real, uh, you know, explicit uh, scriptures. It's about Jesus Christ as he's alluded to. It's about Jesus Christ in types and shadows. It's about Jesus Christ as, again, we, we, you go through and, and you see uh, with the different aspects of prophet, priest, and king, and God raises these things up all the way through history, and they all fail, right? And the idea of even the failure is pointing you to Christ, because if there's supposed to be this perfect king, and none of these kings are it, then obviously you're looking forward to something, or you're looking forward more specifically to someone, and you come to see that the whole of the Old Testament is, is about Jesus Christ. So again, there's a theme, uh, the kingdom of God, uh, uh, Miles Van Pelt says 84 of the 98 times that the kingdom of God is explicitly mentioned in the New Testament, they're in the gospel accounts. So here, kingdom of God, mostly when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. But then in Acts, uh, he says he presented himself alive, again referring to Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them uh, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus uh, when he's with his disciples for 40 days, we, you know, we always go, wow, I, was with the, I wish I was with those two guys on the road to Emmaus so I could hear that Bible study. Well, what about 40 days? What was he doing for 40 days? Well, he's opening up their eyes and their hearts to the Old Testament scripture. That's what he's doing uh, so that they can see, right? So that they can understand what's going on. And what, uh, in Acts, then, Luke says, and this was his theme, was the kingdom of God. And again, the structure or how the Bible portrays the story of Christ and the kingdom is covenantal. So from the very beginning, it's covenantal uh, with Adam in the garden and then on through. Uh, but again, this is, a, this is a big picture thing too because it's covenantal not in just particular aspects, but in the way the Bible itself is, is structured. Is stru- the whole thing structured as a covenant. So you have uh, the prologue in Genesis and you have the epilogue in Revelation, Right? It's, it's, it's the whole big book, right, is, is covenantal. Uh, at the end of Deuteronomy, the end of the law, you're not to take away from it or add to its work. That's the close of the Pentateuch. And, and we have the same thing repeated at, at, uh, at the end of Revelation. 
curse are you if you add to it or take anything away from it. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same type of um, structure going on. And in other words, God ends the Bible and he ends it as, as, as he would have ended the covenant with the law, right? You don't add to this, you don't take away from it. In other words, this is the end of the covenant now. So that's the structure. That's the structure of the book. But again, Jesus is the center and he's, he's the key to everything. Uh, Christ is everywhere, again, by types, shadows, illusions, uh, unmet expectations. Uh, the story itself is all about Jesus Christ. So Brian was bringing up parallels with Moses and, uh, and, and Jesus. And of course, I never know what he's going to do, and he doesn't know what I was going to do. So I was like, hey, I've already talked about that, so why are you talking about it? You know? But uh, anyway, I'm going I'm to repeat some of this because it's just, it's just edifying, right? But uh, again, uh, Exodus and, uh, through Deuteronomy gives us the law of the covenant. They begin with the birth of the covenant mediator, Moses. And in the beginning of Exodus, he's born. And at the end of uh, Deuteronomy, he dies. And then in the middle, right, you have his life. Well, does that parallel anyone? Well, of course it does. The New Testament Gospels begins with the birth of the covenant mediator and ends with his death in the Gospels, right? And in the middle, there's all of his life and teaching. And again, because the key here, and Brian brought it up, is Moses is the prophet. And the idea is God's going to raise up a prophet like me. And they're waiting, they're waiting for that. So Jesus um, will parallel Moses um, in the Gospels, and particularly in Matthew. So... uh, Again, the covenant corpus in each testament is framed by the birth and death of the covenant mediators. They have the same beginning and ending point. And uh, again, the primary emphasis is on their teachings, right? Uh, In the beginning uh, with John and Genesis, we both have in the beginning. Again, John is, uh, for the Gospels, I think, just so, they are all dependent on the Old Testament but John clearly so, right, as he even begins the very first opening of it in the beginning, right? And we're pointing back to this. So Moses and Jesus are both born under the decree of death, and they're the only, that's the only two occurrences in the whole Bible of that. So when Moses is born and Pharaoh's decree that all the children should die, and then when Jesus is born and Herod's decree that all the children should die, those are the only two incidences of that That phenomenon or what do you want to say taking place and it happens with Moses and Jesus they both dwell in the land of Egypt they're both called out of Egypt they both receive and or teach on a mountain the mountain of God is actually a big theme throughout all of scripture both of them are transfigured on a mountain right and um, then again and here's the here's the key to it Deuteronomy ends and there has not arisen a prophet since uh, in Israel, like Moses, whom the uh, Lord knew face to face. So understanding this, Moses writes the Pentateuch, but he can't write the very end of Deuteronomy because he's dead, right? So somebody else wrote that part. So when we say Moses wrote it, we do mean Moses wrote it, but we don't mean that every single sentence was written by Moses because he couldn't have written the end, right? So whoever wrote the end, uh, you call him the redactor or the compiler or whatever name you want to put on but it's, it, seems, it seems pretty clear that he had to be at pretty much at the end of Israel's history, right? That, that this isn't tacked on. It, do, it obviously doesn't make any sense if he's writing right before they're going to go into the promised land because if right before you're going into the promised land with Joshua and you go, no, uh, no prophets have risen like Moses, everybody would go, yeah, right, because uh, he was the only one. Right? I mean, it just wouldn't make any sense. So the idea of why would this be, why would this statement be made, and it's actually it's a big statement, has to be because he's looking back over the whole course of Israel's history and saying, through our whole history, that, that promise of a prophet coming like unto Moses, that, that hasn't been met yet, right? And so the idea of there's an expectation coming that, that if that hasn't been met and yet it's a promise from God, then it must, it must be coming. And again, Malachi ends the prophets. He doesn't end the Jewish canon, he end, but he does end the prophets. And he says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. And then he says this, behold, I will send you Elijah 
the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So again, the idea there, uh, you end, you end the, um, the Pentateuch, and then you end the, um, the prophets, and they're all looking still for the prophet to come. And then you open with Matthew. Again, Matthew uh, it ties right in, and we you know, keep saying this one, ties right in with Chronicles. Chronicles is the end of the Hebrew canon, and it ties right in to Matthew's genealogy, interesting enough, right? Okay, because the genealogy is about the line of the tribe of Judah, the one who's to come, right, and start the battle. But he's also the prophet who's to come. So all throughout, you have this parallels with uh, Jesus and Moses. So when we encounter God in the Old Testament, and uh, Miles uh, Van Pelt points this out, most of the encounters of Yahweh in the Old Testament are actually encounters of the se- with the second person in the Trinity. Okay? So in the Old Testament, uh, again, Christ is everywhere. We're in, when we encounter God in the Old Testament, we are primarily encountering the second person in the Trinity. And then uh, Gerard's Voss says, the Old Testament revelation that had Christ as its center and goal was never as the word, as the word in the abstract, but always as the word to be incarnate in time. For this reason, the Old Testament revelation with its types had to point forward to Christ as the antitype. Not only did it point forward to the fullness of time, but also heavenward. For the prophets, priests, and kings were messengers and representatives of the great antitype, the eternal Son of God, anointed as mediator from eternity. They derived their official authority from the person of himself, whom as they, uh, they as office bearers proclaimed in a shadowy fashion. So Voss is saying again, everywhere in the Old Testament that we have prophet, priest, and king, that only makes sense in light of Christ, who is, who is God's prophet, priest, and king. So therefore, in the Old Testament, everywhere where we're seeing this, Voss is saying we need to open up our eyes because everywhere where we're seeing this, we're seeing a picture of Jesus, right? Or we're seeing something point uh, to Jesus. So the name Yahweh, I am, is also, it can also, or is also the future, I will be who I will be. And uh, pointed this out before that even at the beginning with Moses, when, uh, when God reveals himself to Moses, he says, I will be with you. And this is the idea of I will be. I will be with you. Okay, not just I will be what I am all the time that I am. That's true of God. He is the only I am. But the idea of the proclamation to the people, the proclamation to his prophet to give to the people is this, I will be with you. And of course we know that that's the fulfillment of the covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. So right from the very beginning, when God, uh, well, of course in the beginning in Genesis, but I'm talking here with Moses, and the covenant with Moses, right? Right from the very beginning, even the name of God is pointing us to I will be with you. And so think in the New Testament, well, I will be with you. Who will be with you? Well, God will be with you is what he's saying. And you shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Okay, so even the name Yahweh is pointing to the second person of the Trinity. Again, Yahweh is God's name, but in, in Revelation, think about this, okay, too. Uh, when, uh, when Yahweh is speaking, who's speaking? Well, on the one hand, we could say Yahweh, okay, but it's the word of God who's speaking. So in an auditory uh, theophany, right, every time that God is speaking, it's a revelation of God, but in particular, it's a revelation of the second person, the Trinity, who is the word of God. So right from the very beginning, we're pointed to Christ. So all that stuff's really, really neat, and we've been going through a whole bunch of different things with that. Um, again, how, you know, look at this uh, certain event that happens and it points to Jesus, or look at this thing and it points to Jesus. But what I wanted to do this morning and I got a lot of this from uh, Miles Van Pelt and uh, Michael Heiser, but point out in places in the Old Testament where we read, where we don't necessarily think that we're encountering the second person of the Trinity, and yet it very clearly is. So I'm going to give uh, a bunch of references here and then explain them, but you know, hopefully you can track with me. 
So God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and confronted him with a task while delivering divine revelation to Pharaoh. God commanded Moses to prefix his address with three key words. So again, Moses being the prophet, when God first appears to him, he's given instructions for this is what the prophet's to say, right? And Moses, Moses has the first uh, form or structure that the prophet's supposed to follow. And, and all the prophets follow this same structure all the way throughout. And it's, it's the beginning of how they begin their prophetic um, ministry. Does anybody know how all the prophets begin their prophetic ministry? What do they say? That says the Lord, okay? That says Yahweh. Okay, so that's, that is, that's the prophetic speech. Thus says God, right? So all throughout the Old Testament, thus says Yahweh, thus says Yahweh, thus says Yahweh, thus says Yahweh. And then, and then again, thinking about the idea of all the prophets, okay, whether they're nice guys or good guys or whatever, they're not the prophet, right? But they all come saying, thus says Yahweh, thus says Yahweh, thus says Yahweh. And what does Jesus come and say? Truly, truly, I say to you. What a wonderful thing. Okay, no longer thus says Yahweh, but I say to you. Who says to you? Yahweh says to you. Thus says Yahweh. This is, this is the opening of the prophets, right? This is what it is to be a prophet. You're a mouthpiece of the Lord. Thus says Yahweh. So when Jesus comes and says, truly, truly, I say to you, yeah, of course it's Jesus. But he's, he is Yahweh. Okay, thus says Yahweh. Truly, truly, Yahweh says to you. Right? So Moses and the people of Israel sing this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then he says, the Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. Okay, well, poetic, and it sounds real nice, but it's also more literal than what we think. That's in Exodus, let's see, that's in Exodus 15. So, Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. And then, of course, again, when Jesus comes and after his baptism, he enters into the temptation in the wilderness, which is the conquest of the land. Okay, Jesus comes to fulfill what Adam was supposed to, was Adam was supposed to keep and guard the garden. And we've talked about those, those uh, uh, words or phrases are used in the temple where the priests were to keep and guard, Adam's to keep and guard the garden temple. He doesn't do it. He allows the serpent uh, to deceive the wife. And then Adam falls into sin, not because he's deceived, but just because he falls in, into sin. But he didn't keep in guard. Israel's supposed to go and conquer the land, right? To keep it and guard it. They don't do it. Yahweh, as the man of war, comes. And what's he do? He goes into the wilderness. And he starts to conquer. And he conquers by, by you know, defeating uh, the devil, you know, who said, it says he'll come back to him at an opportune time. But again, all throughout the, uh, all throughout the Gospels, and I think this is real important to understand this. When Jesus is doing things, when he is expelling uh, uh, demons from people, and when he's making people better, he is acting as a warrior. Okay, he is conquering. He's conquering the land, okay, that's now inhabited by what? By wild beasts and demons is, is the way it's pictured in the New Testament, right? He goes into the wilderness and he's with the wild animals and he's with the people and there, there, there's all this demonic oppression. And if it's not overt or just explicit, it's, there's all this illness, which he, which he also oftentimes is attributed to that. And the idea being that he is now in this, in this land that's fallen and he's the one who's coming now to conquer so he's conquering, uh, again, uh, you know, he's conquering because of who he is and what he does, 
but he's, he is the one who's conquering now. Now the angel of Yahweh went up from Gilgal uh, to, to Bacham, and he said, I brought you, the, okay, let me slow down. The angel of Yahweh went up, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt. Who brought them up from Egypt? Well, God brings them up from Egypt, we know. Who brings them up from Egypt? The angel of Yahweh brings them up from Egypt, okay, because that's what he's saying. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into this land that I swore to give to you and your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not done that. You have disobeyed my voice. First person. And who's speaking? The angel of Yahweh. The angel of Yahweh is speaking, you know, he's not saying the angel of Yahweh came and said, and you, you know, and Yahweh brought you up, okay, or he brought you up. He's saying, I brought you up, and I said, and you broke, uh, you know, you uh, disobeyed my voice. So again, uh, and the angel of Yahweh is, is Yahweh. Again, this is clear in the Old Testament, but Yahweh is the second person of the Trinity, right? We're encountering, we're not encountering Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, but we are encountering the second person in the Trinity as he's revealing himself all throughout the Old Testament. And then, of course, Jude says the same thing. So, remember, the angel of the Lord said, I brought you out of Egypt. And then Jude says, now I want to remind you, although what you once fully knew, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. You ever read through Exodus and think, oh, this is Jesus saving the people, right? This is Jesus bringing them up out of the land. This is Jesus doing that. And yet, and yet Jude said, yeah, you guys remember Jesus. Well, his remembering is the idea of like he doesn't judge people. Uh, but the, for him, it's a given. Yeah, Jesus is the one who brought about this great deliverance. And of course, that's what we read in Judges 2, is the angel of the Lord. So then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So then Yahweh said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your, father's, your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. So it starts out with Yahweh said to Jacob, and then in his dream, the angel of Yahweh is speaking to him again in the first person, saying, I am who you saw, right? So in Jacob's dream, and he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, Yahweh, and this is interesting, stood above it and said, I am Yahweh the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie will give to you and your offspring. So now we have Yahweh doing what? Standing. Well, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? Because you kind of have to have a body <laughs> to be standing, right? <laughs> so second person in the Trinity, again, the idea here being the whole of the Old Testament is about Jesus. It's just, it's, it's one of those things where you just stop and think. I mean, it's like, because your salvation is completely uh, tied into who Jesus is. Completely tied into it. And we have a whole Bible telling us about Jesus from beginning to end. And we start to read the Old Testament, and we read the Old Testament you know, with eyes of, of the New Testament, but we're not reading into stuff that's not there. It's just there, right? So Yahweh is the one who, uh, who Jacob sees. And of course, uh, uh, you know, 
later on with uh, the call of Nathaniel, uh, that, that's going to play into his call too. And when Jesus uh, appears to him, right? Uh, you, you're gonna, you think that was a big deal? You're going to see you know, the Son of Man, Son of God standing and the angels of the Lord descending and descending on him, right? So again, picture of Jesus Christ all throughout, uh, all throughout the Old Testament. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame out of a fire. Who appears to him? The angel of Yahweh appears to him. Okay, And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And then and when Yahweh saw that he turned aside. So again, following this, the angel of Yahweh appeared to him in a flame, and then it says, when Yahweh saw that he turned aside. Then God called to him out of the bush. So who's calling to him out of the bush? Again, God's calling to him out of the bush. Who's in the bush? The angel of Yahweh is in the bush. Angel of Yahweh, second person in the Trinity. As a, again, do you ever think about that? When God reveals himself to Moses as the I am, he, he appears to him, as the second person of the Trinity, to reveal Yahweh to him. Which, of course, that's how it works. <clears throat> if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No one can come to God except through me. The revelation of God, the revelation of Yahweh, is always through the Son. It's never any other way. It can't be any other way but through the Son, right? So as God's revealing himself to the saints in the Old Testament, it's, it's, it's not clear, as clear as it is to us, uh, but it's, it's just this neat thing to think about. It is, it, is always, it is always God revealing himself in the person of his son to his people because there's no other way for his people to come to know him. And again, it's the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh that says, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then it says, Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay? Then behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on your way and to bring you to the place that I prepared for you. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. So isn't that, I say, the angel of the Lord, okay, the angel of Yahweh, okay, an angel that God's to send, and you're to pay careful attention to him. And he doesn't say, because if you don't pay attention to him, then I won't pardon your transgressions. He said, if you don't pay attention to him, he won't pardon your transgressions. Well, do we have that? little scenario played out anywhere else in the New Testament? What do you mean forgive sins? Who can forgive sins? But God. Okay, so here in the Old Testament, we have the, you should obey his voice. If you don't obey his voice, okay, he won't pardon your transgressions. And then when Jesus comes and he, and he heals the guy and he says, or he says, your sins are forgiven you and they're questioning within their hearts and he says, hey, you know, I know your question is within your hearts, but what's easier to do? For me to tell that guy to get up and walk or for me to tell him that his sins are forgiven? And obviously in the context he's saying, if I say his sins are forgiven, who can argue, right? In a sense, because you don't know. If I say get up and walk, well, I actually have to prove something. He has to get up and walk. So Jesus' point is, and from your guy's perspective, the easier thing, in a sense, is to simply say, your sins are forgiven you. But to show that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say unto you, arise. Right? So here, from the Old Testament, it says, who's the forgiveness of sins? Who can forgive sins? But God alone. Who can forgive sins? Oh, but the Word of God. Right? The Word of God. So again, may the Lord answer you uh, the, the idea of my name being in him. And then we have this throughout scripture. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. 
and then some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. So again, the idea here of putting your trust in the name and putting your trust in the person of God is one and the same thing. If I put my trust in the name, I put my trust in who he is, right? But again, the name of God throughout the Old Testament ends up being a reference to the second person, the Trinity. So behold, the name of Yahweh comes from afar, burning with his anger and thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a devouring fire. And then Revelation will echo that language. In fact, Revelation, I think Brian's brought out a lot, has really depended a lot on Isaiah, where we just got that quote from. And then Jesus will come and say this, I've manifested your name. So the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord, name of the Lord, all throughout the Old Testament, Jesus comes and says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And then again, the, uh, Jesus, you know, again, claiming to be the one who forgives sins is right from the Old Testament, right from the Old Testament. So, and he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, and then he says this. This is in Genesis. And this is, uh, this is uh, Jacob blessing his, 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 Joseph. So again, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into multitude in the midst of the earth. So he's blessing them. He's saying, Yahweh's, Yahweh's the one who's watched over me. And then he calls him the angel who's watched over him, right? So this idea of the blessing in this verse is singular. So he doesn't say, let, both, let them be blessed, or okay, you know, let them both bless him, but it's singular. So when he says God has blessed the boys, and he says the angel has blessed the boys, he's using the same verb, Okay, for both of those subjects, so it's controlling both of them. So if that verb's controlling both of them and it's equated to them, then he's just simply equating the, the, two, the two subjects there. So after these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. So I just want to say that this is a little more nuanced, but what, what is it, in its most basic sense, what's a vision? How would you know you had a vision? Right now, I have no vision, and I have vision. You have to see. Okay, in order to have a vision, you have to see something. Okay? Yahweh appeared. He had to see something. Okay, he had, he had to actually see something. Now, I know we just go, okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. No, no. You have to see something, okay, in order to have a vision, right? And this particular vision is of Yahweh. And then, uh, of course, uh, John will say that Isaiah's vision was of Jesus when he's in the throne room and he, see, and he sees Yahweh and, uh, and all the angels are, are worshiping him. John will tell us that vision was of, of the second person of the Trinity. He had to see Okay, again, in the idea, this is how God reveals himself to his people. He reveals himself to his people through, through his son, through his word. Okay? Uh, Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Yahweh, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And again, and Yahweh came and stood, calling as at other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said to him, speak for your servant hears. This stuff is just, it's just kind of neat to think about because I think we mostly blow over it. You know, we just don't think about what's going on here. Who's, Yahweh comes and stands and then speaks. That's got to be the second person of the Trinity, okay? Because you just don't see the Father and you don't see the Spirit. Okay, whenever we see the Spirit, we see some symbol of the Spirit, or obviously you can see the works of the Spirit, but you don't see the Spirit. 
You don't see the Father. Who do you see? Who stands? Who speaks? Second person of the Trinity is one who stands and speaks. Who spoke to Samuel? Well, the Word of God spoke to Samuel. Who spoke to Samuel? The second person of the Trinity spoke to Samuel. Who spoke to Samuel? The Son of God spoke to Samuel. Why is he speaking to Samuel? Because we can't come to God. We can't know God. We can't see God. We can't do anything with God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the revelation of God for his people to come to know him. This is the truth from, from the very beginning for how he created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in it to the very end at the, at the new heavens and the new earth. There will never, ever, 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 ever be a time where we don't know God through Jesus Christ. We will always know God through Jesus Christ. Okay? And so the Bible, the testimony of the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. So again, uh, from Dan to Beersheba, uh, they knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and again, and Yahweh appeared, in appearance, okay, uh, to him at Shiloh, and the Lord, and Yahweh revealed himself. And again, he appeared to Samuel. And, and the idea, he revealed himself as the word of the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah, now the word of, the, word of Yahweh came to me saying, Behold, I for and again the idea of saying just okay. Well, how the God he speaks through His Word, second person of the Trinity. It's all about Christ. Okay, the Word of God came to me saying, "Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations." Then I said, "Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth." But Yahweh said to me, "Do not say I am only a youth." <coughs> For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares Yahweh. <clears throat> then Yahweh put his hand and touched my mouth, and Yahweh said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Isn't that wonderful? I, I mean, you know, I, I read that stuff, and I just think, yeah, vision, it just means, it just means like, ephemeral, ethereal, it's just smoke, or, you know, it's just nothing. But here, no, it's not. Yahweh puts his hand on his mouth, okay, and touches his mouth and says, I put my word into you. It's a, it's a, it's a picture of Christ, okay? It, it, and, and, and not just a picture, it is actually, it's not the incarnate Christ, but it's the second person of the Trinity who's revealing himself to Jeremiah who's, who can put his hand on him and touch him, right? And touch his mouth and behold, I, I... And just think about that. Isn't that cool? Okay, so God comes in and dwells us through his spirit and that's how we know Jesus. That's how we're made alive and know Jesus. But isn't it kind of cool to think, yeah, God like puts his hand on your throat and shoves his word into you, right? <laughs> okay. And you go, cool, because that's what I want, right? You know, I just, you know, do it more, you know? But that's the picture here. He's touching him and he's actually putting his word well, why? Because it's the word who's touching him. It's the word who's touching him, putting his word into his mouth. So the angel of Yahweh came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the uh, whatever. And while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites, and the angel of Yahweh again appeared to him and spoke to him. And says, Yahweh is with you, a mighty man of valor. And then it says, and Yahweh turned to him. So here again, Gideon, and Gideon's vision of the Lord is a vision of the second person of the Trinity who actually comes and appears so he can see him and turns, right? He's doing these things like a man would do, right? I mean, he can see these things. So he says, oh, mighty man of valor. And uh, let's see, and the Lord... uh, Yahweh turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. He says, do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. So the angel of the Lord came. The angel of the Lord sat. I think that's pretty interesting, too. He's sitting under a tree. Yahweh is sitting under a tree waiting for Gideon to show up. He's just kind of hanging out there. And, uh, and then you go, is there any place in the New Testament that kind of pictures that say, where 
Yahweh is just sitting and waiting for someone or, you know, whoa, this lady at the well. And she just kind of shows up while Jesus is just kind of sitting, you know. And you just go, this is just really, really beautiful stuff. But Yahweh's sitting and he's waiting. So the angel of Yahweh is sitting on an terebinth and then he's speaking to Gideon and then they're having this interacting and then it, and then it switches like this without the, without the author like batting an eye. And then Yahweh said to him, so it's the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Yahweh, the angel of Yahweh, and Yahweh said. So very clearly, the angel of Yahweh is Yahweh. But the angel of Yahweh is someone who can sit under a tree, is someone who can turn and face, face Gideon face to face, who's someone that Gideon can actually look at and see, is someone that will speak to Gideon, right? Then the angel of Yahweh appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children. This is in Judges uh, with Samson's parents. Uh, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance... So this is pretty interesting. I just have to slow down. The angel of Yahweh appeared, speaks to her. She goes to relay the information, and what does she say? A man came to me, and his appearance was like his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of Yahweh. And very awesome. <clears throat> and I did not ask him where he's from, he did not tell me his name. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child to be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah and the so, Lord, please you come. And this Lord is the angel of the Lord who looks like a man, okay? And, the, uh, and God listened to him. The prayer is, oh, Lord, please, okay, let the man of God come. And God listened to his voice. And the angel of uh, Yahweh came again to the woman as she sat in the field. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of Yahweh, and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. So again, he's appearing and he's appearing as a man who they can see and they can talk to. And it seems as if they had, uh, Manoah and his wife had some kind of idea of the angel of Yahweh and that they should be afraid because they understood the angel of Yahweh is none other than God, none other than Yahweh. So let's wrap it up with this. <clears throat> I saw in a night vision, and behold, the clouds of heaven, with the, cloud, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And this is, was uh, to him uh, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And then in, uh, that's out of Daniel. Then in Deuteronomy, there is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens. So Daniel's vision, this, uh, he's coming on the clouds. Okay, the one like the Son of Man comes on the clouds. Deuteronomy, there's none like God. He rides on, uh, through the heavens. And then the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind. So this is picture uh, of Yahweh. In fact, um, there are uh, Jewish writings where they, they call Yahweh the cloud rider. He's the one who comes riding on the clouds, okay? Uh, again, Isaiah, an oracle concerning Egypt. Behold, behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud and, and comes to Egypt, and the idols of Egypt will tremble in his presence. And then this is just beautiful. I think, I think Brian brought this up. I uh, forget what he was doing. Maybe Daniel, but this is wonderful. Yahweh is the cloud rider. He's the one who rides on the clouds. And then the high priest said to him, I, hear, I, I adjure you by the living God, tell us uh, if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, from now on, 
you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. I want to say when they wanted to kill him there, the, the, the big reference that triggered them was riding on the clouds. Okay, it, 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 when, once he said, I'm going to be the one riding on the clouds, he just simply said, I'm Yahweh. And that's why, that's why the high priest you know, tears his garment and says, we don't need any other witnesses. He just blasphemed. And I, again, I think if you're like me, I, I used to read that and go, well, he's just like, he just wants to kill him anyway, so he's like using any excuse. Because, you know, you can read that and not think that he's like, okay, Jesus is saying something. He's going to be at the right hand and da-da-da-da-da, but all this. But no, he's actually saying, I am Yahweh. And they totally understood. There was no doubt because there is only one, cloud, one who rides on the clouds. Only Yahweh rides on the clouds. And so when Jesus says, I, I will come riding on the clouds, he's saying, yeah, I'm Yahweh and I will come on the clouds. So again, the practical import of all this is the immutable, and I think this is Gerhardus Voss, the practical import of all this, all this about Christ is is that the immutable and guaranteed nature of the covenant of grace is given in a concrete and real ground in the person of Christ himself. That everything to do with our salvation and how concrete and how real it is, I know we know this, is, based, it, it is grounded on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the idea, so of course, the revelation of God is all about Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ so that his people can read and be blessed and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, again, we thank you and we pray that today we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We pray, God, that uh, our understanding of our salvation would increase more and more And God, we pray for your blessing upon the rest of this day, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.